It's a very human thing to form groups and become exclusive. It's what happened in Ezra's day. The Jesus way is different. It's way better. The title of today's talk is Us For and No More, The Message That Jesus Destroys. We're back to the Old Testament, the book of Ezra. And what a turn of events for the Jewish people. What answered prayer, what fulfilled prophecy. I mean, the Jews had been slaughtered, their cities had been destroyed, they had been sent into exile, scattered to the four corners of the earth. And now, all of a sudden, the king of Persia, modern-day Iran, has this change of heart. And he says to the Jewish people, go back to your home country, go back with my blessing, go back with my money, go back with my military force, and rebuild your city, rebuild everything, worship your God in freedom. What an incredible change of, of, of heart and circumstance for the Jewish people. Now, um, this is what the king said to anybody who objected to the Jews moving back to their homeland. Um, so, so here's the king, go back all this way, back to your homeland, and here's what the king said. Those who violate this decree in any way will have a beam pulled from their house then they will be lifted up and impaled on it, and their house will be reduced to a pile of rubble. So does anybody have a problem with the Jews heading back to their homeland? <laughs> like, this king was pretty serious. In fact, he even says some more stuff, too, in Ezra chapter 7. He says, anybody who refuses to obey the law of your God, this is the king talking to Ezra, anyone who refuses to obey the law of your God back in Israel and the law of the king, me, will be punished immediately either by death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. <laughs> I mean, Ezra, the ruler, the leader who came back, brought that group back, is in total control. You can see that here, right? He's in charge. If you disagree with him, what could happen to you? Or, 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 right? So he has real authority, this Ezra fella does. And for Ezra, there's only one thing that really matters. One thing that matters, and that is racial and religious purity. This is a 100% Jewish party, and nobody else is invited. And so a bunch of guys come forward uh, in, in Persia, and they say, to Ezra, they, they say, hey, we, we have priestly blood in us. We'll come back with you to Israel and be your priests. And Ezra says, well, let's make sure about that. And so they do, they go and they search the genealogical records to see if these guys are truly priests. And what did they find? They searched for their names in the genealogical records, but they were not found. So they were disqualified from serving as priests. Boom! Pure priests only. Ezra says to these would-be priests, these wannabe priests, no trip for you. You can't come with us. Not welcome. Pure priests only. So they get back to Israel and a bunch of guys 
that had been transplanted there decades previous, had been living in Israel for generations. They, they come up and, and they say, welcome back, Ezra, welcome back to the land. Glad to have you. We're going to give you a hand with this building project. And of course, what happens? They say, let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since King Esarhaddon of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the other leaders of Israel replied and said, You may have no part in this work, no work for you. Right? Pure priests only, pure workers only. And finally, Ezra insists, he insists on pure marriages only. Pure marriages only. Chapter 9 and 10, he says this. For the men of Israel have married women from these people. Reminds me of Don Cherry, right? You people. He got fired for that. Um, from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has been polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. Let us now make a covenant with our God to divorce our pagan wives and send them away with their children. How do you think this went over? How do you think this went over? Okay, it sounds terrible, but do you think they obeyed the command? Some people did, some did. You think they probably did? She thinks some did, some didn't. So what's going on here? Well, well, we have a we have a, a list, right? Like, but. The, the truth is, I mean, this is, this is how it went over. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashahel, and Jezeah, the son of Tikvah, opposed the course of action. And they were supported by Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite. So if you read Ezra, you'll find 112 uh, marriages that are terminated. And only four, evidently, that rejected the uh, law of Ezra. And it was, probably came at great cost to these guys. They were probably excommunicated from the community, which had very significant difficulties. Not everybody, though, was willing to cast their wives and their children aside. Why do you suppose these guys were not willing to do that? <laughs> the 112 are like, oh, thank God I can get out of this nightmare. <laughs> well, I hope not. I hope not. Go ahead. Yeah, so it would be like, yeah, good riddance to you, man. Good riddance to you. I think the four that didn't loved their wives and loved their children, and they... They refused to break this union for, for that reason. Go ahead. There's also, if you don't care for your family, you're worse than, like there's so many things through scripture about that, taking care of your wife yeah. and children, and to not, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. so, so, like, yeah, okay, so fair enough. Well, so what do you think about all of this? I think the 108 are the worst. 
Okay, the ones that went ahead with the divorce, even though they were obeying Ezra's command, which is from the, uh, seems to be connected to the Torah, they were the worst. Okay, what, what, what are some other thoughts? Go ahead. Okay, so you're seeing a lot of similarities nowadays with the, f the fracturing of different things going on with political leaders and so forth. Okay, okay. Um, I, I want to say this. I think this is a really important point. This book in the Bible is not a manual for how we are to live our lives. Okay? It's really important to realize that. I, I, I mean, you can't read a book like this, you can't read a book like Ezra and say, okay, great, I've got some clear direction for my life. I'm going to get a divorce, I'm going to abandon my children. It's right there in the Bible. That's not why the book of Ezra was written. You can't read the book of Ezra and say, great, I'm going to reject people because they're different than I am. That's not the point. This book is a Jewish history book. Ezra is a Jewish history book, and it's fascinating. It's a fascinating time in, in, in history, and so that's why that book is written. But you might be sitting here and you're like, look, we come to church to hear a word from God, to draw closer to Him, to have our faith encouraged. And how does this decidedly racist Jewish history lesson help us in achieving this goal? Well, that's the question we've got to answer. When I hear a word from God, let's, what, what, what's the lesson here for us? Sandra, did you have something? Yeah, I was going to say, I'd rather obey God than man. Yeah. Okay, you'd rather, obey, you'd rather obey God than man, but was Ezra God's man? And if he was, then why would he say what he said, right? He's using the tools that have been provided for his Okay, okay, well still, I mean, Here's, here's how, I, how I understand it. I mean, I, I read this passage. I read, the, I read the whole book. You know, read through all 112 of those people that got divorced. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the Bible Project video says this is odd. This doesn't seem to fit. What's going on here? Um, the, here's the point, I think. The exclusive us versus them tribalism is where all humans start out. From the very beginning, when we're young and we say, this is mine, and when we start having this us-them idea, we are all naturally um, very tribalistic. That's, that's who we are as human beings. But it's not where Christian people stay. And we can see this only when we look at the Bible as the whole story. And so we have Ezra as a starting point but then we, we have this progression that happens that I think is very important for us to take notice of. And so from, from the book of Ezra, where there's this exclusivism, this us versus them, this in versus out mentality, we move into the New Testament, we have Acts chapter 6. What's happening in Acts chapter 6? We have, we have a problem. The church has started and there are a bunch of widows. Evidently, men got themselves killed with great frequency in the first century and so there's lots of widows and there's no social service system so they can't uh, collect money from the government and so if somebody doesn't take care of these widows they die uh, and so the church is picking up the slack and they're taking care of widows and there's two kinds of widows there's the uh, uh, Aramaic speaking widows the Hebrew the, the good sort of the good local girls, the good local Jewish girls who hang on to the Jewish traditions, there's a, that set of widows, and they're being taken care of by the church famously, because everybody loves them. They grew up together, went to the same 
you know, primary school together. And then there's the Hellenistic um, uh, widows. And these are the more cosmopolitan ones, the ones who had learned Greek, the ones who had moved away, the ones who probably didn't follow the religious traditions as well. But they're widows just the same. And so the church says, well, I guess we've got to help them as well. But what was actually happening is the hometown girls were getting taken care of and the Greek-speaking uh, widows were not getting taken care of. And so the church got in this big argument, what do we do, what do we do? And the church said, no, it's an absolute priority that we don't make racial distinction between the widows and that we care for them all. And they restructured their whole governance system to take care of all the widows. That's Acts chapter 6. That's very, very significant. They say, this is not cool to take care of one group and not the other. We care for all regardless. And then we move on to um, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them? What's going on here? Peter it tries to explain to these, these angry Jewish Christians, and he's saying, like, look, I had this dream, and there was this, this sheet that came down, and it had all kinds of unclean animals, and, the, and God in the, the dream told me to eat, and I said no, and God said yes, and I said no, and so then that dream ended, and then this guy shows up, and, and he tells me that an angel had spoken to this, this Gentile soldier, and so I went with them, and then when I talked to the soldier, the spirit of the living God came down, and he became a Christian right there. There and it, was, it blew me away and so I think God's doing something God's making it so that Jews and Gentiles are like the same or something it's Peter in Acts chapter 11 and they have this big big discussion and they decide you know what I think the Jesus message is for everyone it's inclusive not exclusive so do you think the, the problem was sorted right there in Acts chapter 11 Totally not, says Sierra. Yeah, totally not. We go, we go down a few more years to Acts uh, t chapter 15. But then some of the believers stood up and they insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. <laughs> Did you say ouch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was one particular rule for men that they were thinking of, for sure. And so there was this huge big debate that happened at the church in Jerusalem. It's, it's very ironic, though, that 500 years prior to Acts chapter 15 being written is when Ezra was having his big conversation in Jerusalem, the very same city, and he decided that divorce was the option and separation was the way. We're in the same city 500 years later. And they're having the same basic argument. And the church says, no. The church says, no, we cannot force these Gentiles to become Jews in order to be followers of Jesus. We need to respect the distinctions and the uniquenesses of every tribe and every culture and every nation. And as long as you follow Jesus, that's all that matters when it comes to Christianity. And that was a massive change. And then finally, as the church was expanding outward, they continue to have more and more problems with this who is in, who is out uh, mentality. And Paul throws it down for us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. When he makes this incredible statement, he says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. What do you think he means by that? 
Yeah, so there are these, there's these hierarchical distinctions that culture and society had built. There's a Jew on one side and a Gentile on the other, a male on one side, a female on the other, a slave on one side, a free on the other, and these distinctions that divide us and cause fragmentation among us are no longer. That's what he's saying. Who is saying that? It's the Apostle Paul who's saying that. Any other thoughts? I mean, this is what's happening. The Jesus story wants to include all under the banner of divine love. And it breaks down the barriers which naturally divide us. For the sake of divine love, we can join arms and work together as unified equals. That's the point. Right? These three distinctions are fascinating, right? The Jew, in, in the Jewish mind, the Jew is superior than the Gentile. And Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, says, no, no, not true. In the mind of that first century, the free person was obviously superior to the slave. And Paul says, to the shock of the entire Roman world, no. The free person is not superior to the slave. We are brothers and sisters now in Christ. We shouldn't even be slaves in the first place. Well, that's, that's the implication of that, Sierra. The implication of that is that there shouldn't be slaves in the first place. And that is the route that Christians followed. You think about it, Christians in the Middle Ages fought long and hard to eradicate slavery and they did and then it started again with the African slave trade and then they fought again to eradicate it and when you think of you think of why Christians did that and um, uh, none of the other worlds did it like the Islamic world didn't they didn't have a problem with slavery um, Hindu, Buddhist, Eastern cultures didn't have a problem with slavery. First Nations didn't have a problem with slavery. There's only the Christian groups that has had this angst about slavery. And it was the Christian groups that were active. It's because of this. That's why you see that historically. So, um, so how does this part of the story affect us who want to live out the Jesus story? If this is true, we have this progression of belief from Ezra to Acts 6 to Acts 11 to Acts 15 to Galatians 3 where we think now that we are equal in Christ. How does that have an effect on us who want to live out the Jesus story here in the West End? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think that this is, I think Sheila's giving a good illustration of the, of the question, right? How do we, how does this story affect us who want to live out the Jesus story? I think one of the ways is we treat other cultures and other societies, other um, ways of thinking that are different than us, we treat them with honor and respect. I think that's one really practical application. Go ahead, Marcelo, and then Paul. Respect. Yeah. If you respect the order or the difference between the different cultures, yeah. I think that you have a good way. I think that's huge. Yeah. I mean, you look at like forever Jews didn't respect Gentiles and vice versa. Free people didn't um, accept slave people. They didn't respect slave people. Males did not respect females. 
it, and so respect is a very, I think, practical word for you and I. We go out into our world and we see people in our building that are different than us. We see people on the street that are different than us. And we do what we can to um, have a respect for or dignity, try to treat them with dignity. I mean, I think sometimes if people are behaving badly, um, we, we still need to be able to treat them with dignity and maybe confront them. So, so there's a, some sense in which we have to say, I'm gonna treat you with dignity, but what you're doing is wrong. But this idea of respect and dignity is huge. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, that maybe 10 minutes say no, that's not. Uh, yeah, years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the question of roles really has has made that conversation difficult. What are the expected roles of male and female? And for many many years, there was certain things that men did and certain things that women did, and neither the, neither the two shall shall meet. And I think sometimes those cultural distinctions were probably used uh, in, in disrespectful and abusive ways. And so it's important to be always thinking about that. And that's why, that's why a verse like Galatians 3.28 is very important to consider. Anything else? What message can we grab hold of today from this, this passage? Who's Jesus wanting you to welcome in? Who's different than you that you can bless in some way? Is there somebody that different, different religion, different skin color, different accent, different uh, whatever? Somebody who's different. I mean, we naturally are drawn to people who are similar to us. That's how we're wired, and that's not necessarily wrong. But maybe there's someone who's different than you that you could reach out to. I think that's the message here that we see. Christianity is not an us for and no more kind of thing. It's, a, it's an all are welcome kind of thing. Christianity should be characterized with this kind of welcoming spirit. And so that's the challenge that we have. Um, and so we see this progression, and that's what I want us to take. We can look at Ezra and say, this is a fascinating history of the Jewish people, and we can understand, and the more we understand, the more helpful it is, but the, the more we realize that there is a progression that's happened in Christ Jesus, and we're changed as a result of it. So that's the message for today.